everyone. I'm Kat. And I'm Sabrina. And we're here to discuss Bridgerton episode one today. We're going to try to avoid spoilers, but in all honesty, we have both finished the entire season, so we'll try our best. And in terms of why we chose Bridgerton, in general, we just kind of love period pieces, so this was really exciting to see it come out. And in honesty, we have not read the book series, so we came into this whole watching with having no prior knowledge. It opens in 1813, specifically with the Featheringtons, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice. We don't actually see a whole lot of them, but you kind of immediately get the feel that this family is the oddballs, per se, or the like, the ones not to be. Yep, the fake it till you make it, squeeze into the corset. Exactly, the corset scene. Um, and then we pretty quickly move over to the Bridgertons, and as soon as we get there, you can tell, like, this is the main family. A, the show is named Bridgerton, so that's a big helpful clue. But B, we just spend so much time with them. To be fair, I actually thought I did not connect Bridgerton to the Bridgertons right away. I thought Bridgerton was the name of the town. I mean, so did I. I thought this was, yeah, so it took me a little bit uh, even to make the connection. I thought, like, oh, it's really going to be all about this family. Right. And keeping their name straight is also super difficult. I didn't notice this the first time I watched it, but apparently all the children are named in alphabetical order, and that's how you can keep kind of their ages straight, too. So, like, starting with Anthony. Yes. Realistically, the only ones I thought were important were Anthony and Daphne until more episodes in. So I thought one of the funny uh, scenes towards the very beginning is when both families are leaving their homes and there's like a scene where Penelope and Eloise kind of make eye contact and like wave and smile at each other. I totally thought there was something going on between them or at least that Penelope was really into Eloise. Yes, I think we both did agree that we thought there was going to be some lesbian hinting. We're like, oh, this is really... Not just your typical period piece, because there's something modern there, but we'll see what happens. Right. Yeah, I thought it was like kind of interesting that the very first uh, hint of romance uh, was actually between two (laughs) friends, and then nothing happened. That might not be true, because Daphne's siblings, specifically her brothers, are both seemingly into her when they say that she likes me better and I'll go tell her first. Yeah, that was really weird. Lots of lots of favoritism. Right. We have a younger brother and I don't think he would ever fight with anyone over whose like favorite he is. So that That's fair. And it, he would never volunteer to go get us either. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's definitely us being told to go get him. No volunteering. You want to make your comment on thoughts of Daphne? Oh my gosh. When you first start to see her? Oh my gosh. Daphne? Okay, well in the beginning she wasn't like as egregiously bad but throughout the rest of this episode it gets worse and worse where her mouth is like always slightly ajar and she always looks a little bit shell-shocked in a way that makes her look really simple-minded and it starts from kind of the beginning yeah I I took it as she was really innocent and just like really observing the world that I guess she's lived in her whole entire life but right. it didn't rub me the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is your world. This is nothing like new, new here. And yet somehow your mouth is always slightly ajar. All right. So from there, they move on to go meet the queen. So all the debutantes come out. Arguably one of the best like shot scenes of the whole entire episode. Just really well done. Actually, my favorite scene in the entire episode was this one. I just thought it was like super interesting. The fashion was great. All the acting was excellent. We were introduced to the queen, one of the best characters in the entire you know show. 
all her Pomeranians. I think any character with side-eye is your favorite. That's true. That's true. Her side-eye is magnificent. And this is also the first scene for me that I recognized there, there were other races going to be featured in the show and not in servant or less capacities because the queen herself is black as well as her attendants. One of them is Asian. Mm-hmm. So I think that was like for me, I was like, oh. Maybe this is not historically accurate, or I didn't know what the show was about anymore. I, I originally was like, oh, maybe this is based on something real. And then very quickly, I was like, okay, this is fantasy. Yeah, it was really surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of articles touch on this, but the queen from that era, a lot of historians think was actually mixed race. And that, so that's kind of where this jumped off from. She was Portuguese and maybe partially black, too. So that's kind of, I think they took that as like their starting point for how you could introduce more than just like white people into a classic British period piece. I didn't know that. Super interesting. (laughs) That's actually part of the reason why I started watching this show, by the way. There's a New York Times article talking about how they like did something really interesting with race in this era. And I was like, oh, I'm intrigued. I don't think that it's from the books. I assume. I don't think so either. I think that was like a Shonda Rhimes and co introduction. Well, okay. Plus one for that adaptation so far. Totally. And I mean, that's uh, not to skip ahead, but that's what gave us Simon, the Duke, later on. So worth it. And then uh, I know you had feelings about Daphne and the Queen loves her. Does that make you like her anymore? Absolutely not. I like. Just because the queen is like she's flawless based off of a cursory glance at her doesn't change anything for me. All right. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so it's really not going well for Daphne so far in Cat's view. <laughs> so right after the debutantes are presented to the queen is actually when we first hear, I think, of Lady Whistledown, if I remember correctly. It's introduced as, hey, it's not just another scandal sheet. This one is actually using people's full names, which apparently was a big deal and kind of a departure from the previous ones. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Realistically, like, in that scandal sheet, nothing mean, at least that they touch on, is really said, other than, I guess, last year's diamond of the season is now really unhappily married to someone who left her. So that's kind of the first poke of, like, Eloise being super interested Mm -hmm. in Lady Whistledown. Right. Uh, we'll talk more about that later, but I, I kind of find that surprising based off of her character. But we can talk about maybe why she's so interested. Because yeah. actually, what I am super interested in talking about is what happens right after in the Featheringtons' home, their distant cousin is introduced, a.k.a. Marina Thompson. Right yeah. before she was introduced, one of your favorite lines that came out was Lady Featherington was like, the poor are our burden. Yeah, I just think it really establishes her family and their whole family because based on the first scenes, they really are trying hard. Like, they're not really top in their society, but she still does view them as so much more superior than everyone else. So I feel like it just kind of sets her tone and how she views anyone lesser in society. So I think it was just really well set up to have her say all that, like, we're going to be so kind and charitable because the poor are a burden. But then, you know, Marina Thompson walks in and it's not what she expected at all. So actually, speaking of which, what were your first impressions of Marina? Okay, I, I Marina's very pretty, but I wasn't like immediately like she's like the most beautiful person I've ever seen, which sounds harsh, but I think all of their reactions were so strong that my reaction wasn't as strong. It was more for me, I was like, oh, she looks black or maybe makes like, <laughs> again, I think I'm still getting in the show over 
race not being a differentiator in class because that was my immediate first reaction. I was like, okay, she looks like maybe a little bit more plain from the country. She's not done up all like these girls, but they all reacted in like they've never seen anyone look like this before. It was like Victoria's Secret model showed up in their room. No, Marina is basically a Victoria's Secret model. As soon as she walked in, I was like, this is literally the most beautiful character we've seen on screen yet. I thought she was just like super gorgeous. Um, I think you could have put my face next to Penelope's and it would have been like a mere match at that point. <laughs> a Pika shock face. <laughs> oh, but speaking of which, I don't know if you remember, Penelope is like, she's beautiful, which was just one more like point for me to be like, hmm, maybe Penelope's into women. Yes, that or she also just kind of spoke her mind. Right. Like she doesn't really, she definitely comes off as the youngest of all of her siblings. Like she'll say things and, you know, try to get away with it. I think they also try right before this like lady whistledown says that there's only be three daughters sponsored by the featheringtons and penelope is trying to get out of this season by saying like eloise gets to focus on her studies like why can't i and her mother's like absolutely not the like the author's wrong there's four girls coming from our house right right afterwards by the way is when we get to the duke finally entering the duke entering it's something i really didn't focus on but i do like watch tiktoks and there was this one that was really popular where he like rides on his horse and the person who published it was like oh this really stirred up like all my sexual feelings right now like i feel like <laughs> december is going to be a really active month in our home and i was like oh i just didn't like he's attractive but it, it didn't get to me in the same way it's also when yeah. we met lady danbury i think for the first time right yes yep and i know you really like her as a character i do like her as a character i also I, again like coming from a very naive watcher perspective i really thought her voice sounded like the main narrator i never looked up who the main narrator voice was voiced by which uh, Kat has told me in the meanwhile is not Lady Danbury, but at this point, I was pretty convinced. I was like, "Oh, maybe she's Lady Whistledown," because you know she speaks her mind. She knows everyone's business, and she's like hosting the first ball of the season. It's a really great time to find some gossip. So, and she also knew that Simon, the Duke, had a flask on him, even though like she couldn't see it. So it's like she knows everything. This is also, by the way, when we first kind of get the hints that. Simon's relationship with his father isn't so great. She, you know, gives him her condolences. And then she's basically like, yeah, I know you never really liked him anyways. So it kind of sets up that entire plot and drama. Exactly. And then from there, we kind of move very quickly into Sienna's real first appearance, other than just the early introduction with Anthony. And I know, Kat, you had a lot of feelings about this scene. Oh my gosh. The scene is one of the ones that actually drives me the most nuts, where I thought Anthony just came off incredibly terribly like afterwards as like this guy is the worst what a dick because I think it kind of starts off like after they've clearly like hooked up with him being um like oh I gotta go I gotta go take care of Daphne when she's like please stay and then she asks him in like kind of a very wistful manner but like what are these like grand balls like and after a pause he's, he's like oh you would hate them you'd hate them and it felt just like such like a dick move to be like i'm gonna put words in your mouth and tell you that it's basically for your own good that i'm not taking you to something that you're actually clearly interested in and then it only gets worse from there because he talks about how he has to protect daphne specifically make sure that her virtue stays free of any defilement literally right after they hooked up so i i think it's a very obvious that he doesn't treat her like he said, not everybody's a lady, and she's not a lady to him. Like she might, he might have feelings for her and want to take care of her for you know some useful reasons for him. 
but it's not someone he would actually protect and treat like anyone of his class. Right. And I felt like it was just like very clear to her too. And even though he tries to end it by like semi like fake promising that he'll always protect her, I just felt like, oh my gosh, Sienna, like this guy's not for you. You know, you're wasting your time with him. I know you said you felt bad for Sienna. I did. Yeah, I just felt like, oh, you know, like she well, A, she has a beautiful voice. I mean, she's beautiful too, but also it just felt like, okay, here's this young woman in love, you know, with someone who has like money and a social standing and yet still kind of keeps her as his secret mistress. All right, so Anthony is in the doghouse for Kat as well as Daphne just for looking simple minded. So we'll see how as we continue through this episode if he gets any better. The next scene is kind of the big one. It's the Danbury Ball. I'm in the opening of the entire season, so it's kind of a big deal for all the debutantes. And my favorite, favorite part of this entire scene, the music. They did a cover of Thank You Next with like violins, and it was just like so fun. I also thought it fit in really well with the overall scene, where it's basically, you know, Daphne and her brother walking around like assessing all the guys in the room. Yeah, I think if you were getting graded on the execution of a theme, like A plus, A plus work right there. Yeah, I think this was also the first hint that maybe Penelope was not interested in Eloise because she's interested in Colin. Because she talks to him and she kind of like is shown wistfully gazing at him already in this scene. So it might have hit our lesbian theme from the show out of the house at this point. But I don't know. I, we can see what happens. But this is kind of the first introduction to Colin as a main character too. Mm-hmm. Like before this, he's just one of the brothers that want to talk to Daphne. Right. Yeah. And then this is also a scene where, again, there's like... You know, besides just, like, white people, there's plenty of black people, but there's our first, I think, sighting of, like, Indian characters as Mm -hmm. well as other, like, Asians. So, again, it's just really trying to show that this society has been super integrated. And then Anthony, he just seems to know every single guy's business. And we talk about thank you next fitting into the scene. He makes Daphne not talk to anyone because he says (laughs) they're either a second son, they're either in debt, they're a poet or they're an eccentric and none of them are good enough for her and the family's name which you know it was very entertaining to watch as a viewer i loved it but it was also like the first really show of no matter how much of a diamond daphne is she's just not in control of who she's even allowed to talk to right the other thing that i definitely thought as i was watching this scene and seeing anthony do all this like rejection is is he lady whistledown And the entire show, they basically assume it's a woman, but here's this guy who clearly knows all the dirt and loves to gossip about it. Definitely made me kind of uh, pause. I think I also was kind of curious why he was so protective of Daphne as an older brother. Like, it felt, like, overly protective, but almost in, like, does he have feelings for her type of way that he's not ready to let her go. But I just found it, like, after seeing the way the brothers treated Daphne in the beginning of the show and here... I mean, they're really, like, she's on a pedestal for them, and they're just not willing to let anyone be near her yet, which is kind of the whole point of being debutante. Right. I think that's the part that was surprising to me and kind of annoying, honestly, if I were the one walking around with Anthony, is that he's the kind of guy who basically vetoes all of your ideas without offering any of his own. Like, if he knows all this about him, he could also be like, hey, here's the ones that maybe you should talk to or are worth getting to know. And he doesn't do any of that. He's like, that's a poet. We cannot, we should not have you make life with a poet. So then we get our first Danbury and Bridgerton's meetup, where Lady Danbury 
gets to talk to Daphne, and she's the only one who kind of points out very quickly that Daphne is not maybe in the best position with her brothers, and she calls her a poor thing. Right. So I thought that was like, she can really see through all the BS <laughs> happening, and it was another point for me of like, maybe she could be Lady Whistledown at this point. Totally. Because, you know, she was keeping an eye on the diamond of the season. Right. Speaking of meetings, the next person that she runs into was Lord Burbrook. And they have this, like, super weird, like, I don't even know what was trying to happen with that dialogue conversation. And he just came off as this, like, really creepy guy. Super creepy. Like, this is the the guy or girl, I guess, you want to avoid at any party. When you walk in, you're like, okay, I'll go the other room. This is the guy. It made me feel bad for Daphne because she finally got away from her brother. You can kind of see the other guys checking her out. And then she gets this. And then it's just like okay, maybe I do want my brother around in the end. Uh, but yeah, he just like, great actor in terms of he, he played the character great of being super creepy and making you immediately feel like he was not not a, like a good suitor. Yeah, honestly though, I have to say, I agree, I thought the actor did really well where you were immediately like, oh. But I feel like they went overboard with trying to make him also like look like the part of you know creepy guy i almost think it would have been more compelling if he were actually like a very like handsome or like good looking guy who then had this super creepy you know yuck uh personality but instead they were basically just like oh you know if you're like pure and good you look like daphne if you're creepy and like you know this horrible person you look like your face looks like lord burbrook that's true. Also, to be fair, with a lot of the guys in this film, I was very distracted by like the crazy facial hair going on. Like that's just not attractive to me. <laughs> so, I, I any of them like looked like ten times worse. And so for him, like with his creepy attitude and the very explosive facial hair going on, it was just a no go. Okay, so then I'm going to ask you because right afterwards is when Daphne runs into the Duke for the first time. What do you think of the Duke's facial hair? Okay, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not remembering it. I feel like he doesn't have the facial hair that everyone else has. Like, he just has a much more modern, like, five o'clock shadow going on, smoldery Hawkeye look. So I think he's a Hawkeye, obviously. And he also dresses differently compared to everyone else in the ball. He's in, like, some velvet cloak coat thing compared to everyone else wearing black. So I think you can tell really quickly that he's supposed to stand out and... You know, people should pay attention. I mean, he looks modern, so I guess maybe they're trying to make him look even more attractive to the audience. That's a good point. Yeah, they're probably playing a little bit to the modern audience with him as like an actor, his look, his outfits, like everything. What did you think, I guess, of their first interaction? The first interaction just felt really forced. Maybe I think my problem is the way it's scripted almost, because it just doesn't really make sense with their characters. I feel like for Daphne, like she's raised to be this super polite diamond that would never be rude to men especially suitors and she comes off even though she's been rushed and running away from a creepy guy i think she never would have been like what is your name like i feel like she would have said it much more like pleasantly or she could have easily just moved away after they said sorry but just the way they started being so confrontational with each other just felt out of place like it it made you immediately realize this conversation's gonna be important but at the same time i don't know it just didn't feel well done to me what about you Yeah, I actually totally agree. I feel like as a Duke, he should have way better manners. Like even if he thought that she was just one more desperate suitor trying to like, you know, get into his space. I'm still surprised that he was so like blowing her off from the start. And I agree with you where I think like if you look at Daphne and like every other scene where she's so mild, you know, and pleasant mannered, 
to have her be like, tell me your name just felt like really out of character. Yeah, I mean, she even just was honestly pretty decent to Burbrook, even though he was being weird. So it just felt out of place for them. Even once Anthony came over and she makes the like snide remark that like, I know what my brother did in college, so I definitely know what you were up to. Like, I don't think you say that to your friend's brother. Like, unless you've known each other a little while. Right, your friend's brother, the first time you're meeting him, and you just found out he's a dude. Yeah, and especially like Anthony not being more confused by her remarks. Mm -hmm. Like... I feel like he just kind of acted dumb uh, in that scene. Like, he just, like, really let it go past him. Maybe a little simple-minded. Oh, maybe it runs in the family, in your opinion. Exactly. (laughs) All right, and so from here, the ball's kind of... The ball's in full swing, but Anthony's over it. He's ready for Daphne to get out of there. And even though she wants to stay and her mother's trying to let her stay as well, Anthony gives the advice that the best thing you can do is leave all the men wanting more. Even though she didn't talk essentially to anyone or dance with anyone, like essentially nothing, he gets her to agree to leave at this point, which just felt, I don't know. I don't think it was the best advice. I don't know if I'd go to my brother for dating advice, especially when he is still single and quite a bit older probably since they're kind of far apart in names. Yeah. I mean, I also thought it was a really strange scene. And again, it's like they're trying to maybe set him up as just like this, like really jealous, protective brother, but it almost felt like too much. It was also, I think, maybe the first scene of this episode for me where they were talking in plain sight of everyone else and expecting that no one heard them. You could see after she leaves that there's quite a few men who like walk the other way or turn away at this point. They probably could all hear her brother giving her this advice. Uh, It was just kind of odd. Like for me, like I know it's um, a movie, a film, but it just doesn't feel realistic sometimes when they're having those types of conversations in public. Mm Mm-hmm. And the next morning is actually when they start receiving callers. And very quickly, Anthony also chases them all all away, if you remember. And again, I was like, what is this guy doing? But this is also, if I remember correctly, Lady Whistledown's second appearance, as in her second pamphlet is out, right? Correct. Yep. And again, it's Eloise who comes like kind of running in with the news, which honestly, I find really surprising given, you know, how Eloise is supposed to be kind of built up as a somewhat modern, you know, feminist-esque voice in the series to have her be the one who's so obsessed with Lady Whistledown and everything she's saying about like the marriage market and what's going on. I thought it was really weird. I wonder if any of the previous scandal sheets were written by women or if she feels some connection to this Mm. writer being a woman or in her view a woman and being able to have such a powerful voice. So I don't know if that could be it. (laughs) I I think it is hard to connect to a bit. In this one, in this like issue of the pamphlet, you can tell she's really interested because it's a little bit disparaging, you know, to Daphne and says that, you know, she's really not receiving callers, especially like the new diamond of the season being Marina Thompson. Right. But at the same time, she actually does kind of act as like a good sister when she tries to stay by Daphne's side when it's like only Lord Burbrook calling again and her mom is like trying to get her to leave. And I was like, oh, you know, that's that's a nice sister move. Yeah, I think it's kind of sisters. You, you love to beat up your sister and make fun of her as much as you can. But when it comes to like someone else actually doing something to your family or you know that you, someone doesn't like, like if you didn't like someone, I would try to stay in the room too or at least get the other person to leave first. Right. I feel like it's like you're still family at the end of the day, even if they do really have opposing opinions on what they want in their life. Right from there is actually when we move over to the Featherington's color situation, where basically Marina's bell of the ball 
everyone is coming to see her sending flowers, etc. I I do wonder how much of this is men are attracted to a mystery lady because she just come out of nowhere. But, you know, just the amount of attention she's receiving, especially when we don't know who her father is and like what her status is. Like no one seems to care if she's just that beautiful. And she's also really receiving with all of them. Like she looked really sweet. She was talking to everyone and respecting the poetry being read to her. This is also where Colin the night before had danced with her, but Colin Bridgerton is also at the house as a caller. So this is kind of the first real look we were seeing at the Bridgerton boy being interested in someone associated with the Featheringtons. Oh, you're right. And actually, if I remember correctly, at the ball, he even asks his brother, his older brother, Benedict, who she is. So you can actually start again to see like the wheels beginning to turn where there's clearly starting to be some interest between Colin and Marina. And again, you get like the forlorn looks from Penelope as that's happening. And you get to see the love triangle developing of the new girl and guy versus the girl who's always been in love with the guy. Right. Exactly. So there's a new bell of the ball. Uh, Whistledown has reported on it. And from here, we get to an upset Daphne, which is maybe another one of your most hated scenes in this whole entire episode. Right. All about duty. Yeah, I mean, I think that entire conversation between Anthony and Daphne was just pretty frustrating, where she was basically suddenly educating him on why her entire life is like reduced to a single moment, and that it's her entire value is tied up in how she like marries. And at one point, she even, or actually Anthony says to her, you know, like, oh, but don't forget, you're a Bridgerton. And she's like, it would be easier if I were not. And I was like, oh, my God, you have to be kidding me. No, it wouldn't. If you don't have any dowry, if you don't have money, at least as a Bridgerton, you still have options and can be a respectable spinster if need be. So for her to say that, I was like, you know. I guess <laughs> I, I know you. anything with Anthony and Daphne, I think you're going to have a very strong <laughs> negative opinion on. For me, I thought this was like an interesting first note from the series where they talk about, you know, women trying to educate men, or especially the ones they care about, of their status in society. I think Eloise says it all the time. Maybe Anthony's stopped listening to her. But again, he really cares about Daphne, or so it's been told. So coming from her saying that she'd be worthless without you know, making this moment. I thought it was a good education time for him. But for me, I was also confused because like her saying that she was reduced to the single moment. I feel like women in this time are probably like, maybe they have at least two moments because they get married as well as like their main duties to have children and heirs. So I feel like that, especially coming from a household of eight children, she should definitely know that children are a big thing that she should be, you know, valuable for. Right. Actually, I think so. Right from there is when they go into the scene between Anthony and the Duke Mm -hmm. and immediately goes back, you know, kind of into that, like, you know, clearly Simon did not have a good relationship with his father when he's like, don't call me Hastings. That's my father's name. But they also have this conversation about what Anthony is doing with Sienna and, you know, why it's okay for him to kind of like needle the Duke and try and get him to seriously think about marriage, but he doesn't have to. Yeah, I I found it really odd. Like, it just didn't make sense to me that Anthony was saying that it was okay that he was with Sienna because he had brothers. But it also was obvious he never plans to give up the head of the family title. So I didn't really understand how that, like, that boy logic worked. Uh, but it was kind of the first hint of maybe it not making sense. As well as, I think, for me, this was like a big scene of just getting to see how close these two characters were 
because realistically, Anthony didn't know that Simon was coming back into town, but they do like know about each other's business of like Anthony having this mistress that maybe not many people know of. Right. And that Anthony knows that Simon never wants to get married and have kids. Mm -hmm. Like those are deep topics that, you know, you clearly have to be a very good friend to have that kind of conversation. It's not just like a college drinking buddy, you know? Yeah. I feel like you would have let that friend know if you were coming back to town. Maybe that's just my opinion. Too much to ask for. All right. From here, another whistle down scandal sheet comes out. At this point, it's actually saying that Colin Bridgerton is going to receive the new diamond of the season's attention, which is Marina. And here again, they're kind of showing Penelope. Not She doesn't look jealous in terms of I feel like she has a very pleasant personality, but she is shown in the room uh, kind of playing with her dog while the two of them flirt during one of the calling sessions. At the theater is when the Queen and Daphne see each other again for the first time since the debutante ball. And I think the Queen says something like, Daphne made an impression, however fleeting that was, with, again, some serious Queen side eye. So you really start to see that the pressure is mounting on Daphne, like where these whistle-down reports, the Queen is reading them. Like, people are starting to think that she might be, you know, not the, like, hot item of the season anymore. Yeah, I think, I mean, she probably very well feels it. Like, the only caller she's had is Burbrook, and he comes probably multiple times. So I can only imagine this is just, like, the last smack in her face that she needs, because at least before this, she had the Queen's approval. But Right. And I actually was wondering if that's maybe why Viscountess Bridgerton and Lady Danbury suddenly started this, like, maybe we should match make her and the Duke. Like, was the Viscountess also starting to feel some pressure where she wanted to try and help Daphne out? Is that what was going on in that theater scene? Yeah, I feel like as a mother, I don't know if it wasn't her idea, though. It was definitely from Lady Danbury. That's too, true. Like, and more than anything in that scene, I was just like confused why Daphne wasn't eavesdropping on them since they were just right behind her. Like, she just was so enamored with the music of Sienna singing that that was enough to distract her from this conversation pertaining directly to her and her future it just didn't again it was just one of those scenes of i was like is this really realistic Mm -hmm. i think as any teenager would have been eavesdropping on their mom talking uh about them unless they're simple-minded okay whatever (laughs) but (laughs) we'll we'll see so at the dinner itself what they're actually immediately starting to talk about again is who is lady whistledown and i think they or if I remember, they already are like, is it Lady Danbury? She, like you said, she seems to know everything. You know, she's got a really sharp tongue. Could it be her? But they pretty quickly shoot that one down as a, oh, you know, when she has opinions, she, she'll let you know. She wants people to know it was her. I mean, they also even commented, like, could it be a man? Uh, and Eloise is like, oh, it could be, I guess. So they kind of really widen, like, who they were considering. And then they have that whole conversation next to each other at dinner where again they are so antagonistic i'm like can you two just like de-escalate a little bit i don't know why you have to immediately start clashing every time you sit next to each other this is such like a teenage romance though because he immediately says like aren't you happy like i'm sitting next to you he's just really full of it and yeah i feel like their their flirtations just come off immature but i do enjoy that he called her chaste neat and desperate. He also was kind of shown right before the scene. One of his servants says like another Whistledown came out talking about you. Do you want to read it? And it pretty much kind of gives the hint that he doesn't want to read any of it. 
But obviously he has been reading the Whistledown's papers because he mm-hmm. knows about Daphne's situation. Right. So Right. He's trying to pretend he doesn't care, but is also clearly closely following the gossip. Exactly. So yeah, that whole conversation, again, awkward because they were in the middle of the entire table and no one else hears them talking like that. I feel like the mother was kind of looking at them and like smirking to herself that they're talking. But it just like, again, felt like one of those scenes of like, was the rest of the people so loud they don't notice when these two are having a conversation? Yeah. I don't know. Apparently you can have any sort of secret conversation you want in that era. And it doesn't matter how many people are near you. They're so much more advanced than we are. Right after dinner is when Viscountess Bridgerton and Anthony have their confrontation, where she basically calls him out for chasing away all of Daphne's suitors. But there's this one thing that she says that really struck me as weird, which was the reformed rakes make the best of husbands. And I was like, please, what evidence do you have for this? This sounds like the kind of thing that I would never tell like a girlfriend or a sister about who to choose to marry. Like what? I think from this, I've been thinking about this more. I feel like the mother must have a bad boy complex. Like she's just into it. (laughs) Like there's something about like, a bad boy, bad manners that she thinks they'll, they'll change because they're so in love, maybe. So <laughs> that's the only thing I got from that so far. When I first heard it, I was like, that came out of nowhere. Or maybe it was her husband like that. But yeah, we don't really know. We've only heard that her and her husband were really happily in love. And I did really enjoy this scene. This made me really like the mother as a character. When she kind of gives a smackdown and she's very snide, like she says, which home are you returning to tonight? The one that I know about or the one like that you're paying for across town with a soprano that you're housing? Like, oh man, (laughs) I love mother lectures and I just felt like this one was really well done. It showed that her character was confident, but also like intelligent in the way she could hold the conversations. This was also the first hint that like this mom is not easily scandalized, like I get it, it's a son and everything, but he's keeping this mistress that is apparently like open a secret enough that even she knows about, and yet she's pretty chill with it. Speaking of which, does she know who the certain soprano is? Because they were just at the opera before with Sienna, and there wasn't even like one glance or snide look at her or anything between them. So maybe she doesn't actually know the identity. Yeah, I know that you think that. I'm not sure. I Also, I don't know how often they go to the theater. Maybe this is like every other week. So, and this romance has been going on for years. We don't really know much about their background other than, you know, she calls out that he's paying for her, probably from the family's money. You would expect her to make more snide effects if she really knew it was Sienna, but it was obvious that not everyone in the family did know it's Sienna since Daphne was just like so enraptured and like <laughs> loving Sienna's singing. Like, I don't think she had any idea that this was her brother's mistress. Gotcha. Okay, and when he breaks it off with her the next morning, what did you think? Uh, I thought, yeah, that was just, uh, he was really being a dick. Like, there was no, that was a pretty bad breakup. Especially, can we talk about, it was the next morning after they already (laughs) had hooked up. It was not the night before when he came to her. Right, and then he just, like, gives her this super flip reason where she's like, I don't understand. He's like, it's not for you to understand. I think even, like, that, I was like, okay, that was that was a jerk move. But then his last statement of, like, what should we do now? Like, you said, you protect me. He says, you shall leave once we've already gotten the hint that he pays for this apartment for her. I was like, that is just, like, the biggest jerk move, like, just telling her to get out. Mm-hmm. Because she goes from thinking this guy cares about her and will protect her and is housing her to, like, pushing her out on the street. Yeah, which is why so. I actually think they connect it to the next scene so clearly, where it's Marina checking her sheets. 
And I think this scene is actually a little bit confusing and people probably when they're watching it for the first time don't really get what she's doing. Like for me, I actually thought maybe she'd had like a miscarriage or like I thought she was looking for something but didn't realize that that's how she found out that she was on her period. Like, that's definitely not how I know. This scene went over my head. I really thought, I was like, maybe she's stealing from them. Like, she is from a poor background. Like, she's taking things from them and hiding them in her bed sheets, which didn't make sense to me. I'm like, there's really better places than this. Like, because servants make her bed every day. But that's what I assumed was happening, was that she was looking for something she hid and she couldn't find it. I also thought that whole scene with Lady Featherington afterwards when she confronts her about being pregnant was super weird. Like the way Marina responds of the like, you shall never understand. Do you think I wanted to be around people like you when she was saying that? I actually thought it was like a, probably like a really messed up scenario where she like fled her home and came to London because it was like an incestuous situation or there was like, you know, some... Like, rape involved. I was like, oh my god, what if it's, like, Lord Featherington? Like, I thought there were a few times, like, a few scenes where he kind of looked over his pamphlet at her kind of weirdly, and it was just kind of awkward. So definitely when I watched that the first time, I was like, oh my god, like, what happened to her? Yeah, that's really what I thought. I thought it was like she'd been wronged in some specific way. So I I didn't get it. It really came out of nowhere because she was so friendly with all of her suitors. So, yeah, surprise for Marina. This is like the big turning point for her in the season. Or not in the season, at least in this episode. This is what we're hearing now about her. And then from here, uh, everyone else is at the ball, which is probably my favorite ball in this episode, at least, because it's really well done. I know, Kat, you have some really strong feelings about the lantern lighting scene. (laughs) I personally thought it was epic. I was like, maybe I'll have this at our wedding. Like, not only <laughs> my, my wedding or your wedding. Like, you know, this would happen. I, apparently, you were not impressed. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely epic. Epic as in, like, Daphne, like, being the most simple-minded of that entire episode. The way she, again, like, looks up and is, like, in such total awe and whatever. And then Anthony comes over and is like, hey, BT Debs, you're engaged to Lord Burbrook. Like, where did yeah. that come from? <laughs> Terrible. I was just appreciating the lights. Sometimes when you talk about Daphne, I'm like, oh my god, maybe I'm simple-minded too. I was like, that was beautiful. (laughs) So, okay, not great. I can see how this is heading for me. Yes, this is where Daphne gets to find out that she's been engaged without her consent. So she, as whatever teenager age she's playing, runs off to the gardens. Right. And I'm also, again, like Anthony, you know, worst brother of the year award. Like, First chases off, like, people who are second sons and eccentric and whatever. And then it's like, yeah, Lord Burbrook, yeah, he's fine. He's, like, from a family that we know. Sounds good. And she gets to those gardens. And, of course, who is there but Creepy McCreepster himself? Is that your new name for him? <laughs> yes. All right. So, yeah, Creepy McCreepster's there. He pretty much just says, like, that he's, like, so excited that she'll be his. And, you know, she says no she rejects him says like that will never happen and that's when he kind of grabs her and says you know this will happen it's not really shown like if he's gonna kiss her or what will happen or if he's just like costing her in those times but this is when she kind of starts telling him no and screaming and we get to see (laughs) my my least favorite part of this episode which is when she punches him in a very unconvincing manner and knocks him out cold which I just don't know how that happened, especially the way she leaves her arms up in the air afterwards. <laughs> it's just, like, so unbelievable. But the other really weirdly done part of this episode is when the Duke is just casually walking 
out in the garden by himself. It just happens to I be was there. Thinking about, my favorite is he's just like casually adjusting his coat. Like, where was he that he took <laughs> off his coat? And like, it looked like he just like went to the bathroom in like modern times. But it just was so obvious that he was trying to act like he just like casually always walks in the gardens. It felt really forced. So then he comes in and he gets to see that, you know, Daphne was being accosted and she punched him. I mean, he's very impressed. So this is the first thing about her that is impressive to him. <laughs> and that's where he comes up with the idea for their arrangement. I think the part that I found really strange about this whole ruse, which they love to call it, was this idea that by them pretending to be super into each other, all the women would leave him alone, but all the men would suddenly be super into her. Because it wasn't even like he was like, oh, I'll just pretend to be really into you. And I could understand that where she was, seemed kind of like indifferent or like interested, but like not super into him too, that the guys might be like, oh, we have a chance. But if the Duke, who clearly is like the most eligible bachelor, shows that, you know, they're both mutually interested, wouldn't that like really scare the rest of the suitors off? This is again where the the boy logic in this show, maybe (laughs) I'm just... I'm just not a boy. Like, I don't understand why this would make her the most attractive and want to make me fight for her at this point. But for me, I think the reason why he thinks the mamas will back off at this point is because she's a Bridgerton and original diamond of the season, at least. Maybe, you know, everyone also realized they're just not good enough. So, yeah, this is like, this scene was very frustrating for me because they had talked to Lloyd Brobrook already and he was still somewhat conscious, but they were having this discussion <laughs> and everything like this agreement right in front of him the, the guy that Daphne's supposed to marry at this point so I just thought it was really unbelievable that like they wouldn't have walked away a few feet at least to discuss this before they head back in this is the only part of the show that you actively dislike is how many conversations happen right in front of people who can totally hear them <laughs> maybe yeah maybe that's my biggest hang up on the show so far <laughs> that might be true actually <laughs> This scene, when I rewatched it, I was still annoyed. I was like, maybe, maybe they walked away. Like maybe because they they have some voiceover where they show them walking back into the ball when they're having this discussion. So I had some like hope for Netflix that they made them walk away. But yeah, what they did show is that wasn't true. They also probably just left Lord Warbrook right there. Yep, punched him. Yep. That's true. And then they walk back in together, and of course everyone is you know amazed and dazzled, and then they you know, pull off their whole, like, we're super into each other thing. I did think it was odd because both the mother and the aunt are showed looking, like, so happy about this arrangement. But it's been, like, what, maybe an hour at the ball? Like, what what do they think happened that made it, like, so much? It wasn't like they were just, like, nearby and, like, found each other. It was like they promenaded themselves all the way forward. Right. In front of everyone. Felt forced. But it was very pretty. I enjoyed all the fireworks in this final dance uh, sequence as well but I think the only thing we briefly went over was that this was also in the ball where Colin was kind of shown to be mm. a good guy because Penelope and him are chatting Penelope you know makes kind of a sarcastic comment when one of the other ladies I forgot her name Cressida Cressida tries to get Colin for her last dance on her card but then Cressida spills a drink on Penelope and Colin sees right through it. Like, he actually says, like, no, I need to dance with Penelope, which I just felt like was the first possibly good guy move we've seen in this episode, actually, compared to Anthony and Simon. 
he really just seems to see through at least some very pretty but bitchy woman. That said, the Cressida champagne spill was like the most obvious thing I've ever seen. Like what? There was nothing subtle about it. She's like holding it and then she just like awkwardly tips her wrist in a way that you never really do to spill it right onto Penelope. So if Colin didn't see through that, then I'd be like, he just goes into the simple-minded Bridgerton category too. <laughs> All right, so maybe Colin is currently the best Bridgerton, or is that Eloise for you? Mm, probably Colin at this point. Okay, I think that's fair. So that was episode one, and has a great kind of hint at the end that, surprise, there was a ruse going on between the Duke and Daphne, as well as Marina being pregnant. So right. Do we want to list who our favorite character is? at the end of it, as well as like our favorite scene. Yeah, so I would say my favorite scene was definitely that debutante presentation to the queen. I just thought it was really well shot. They introduced all these interesting characters. They made it feel like, I guess I felt like the pressure too, in a sense. I think for me, it was probably the Danbury ball when Anthony gets to reject all of Daphne's potential suitors. I just feel like that was really well done. It was fun and kind of showed like a very personal already relationship between the two i just thought it was great to get this like kind of look into the world that they live in and the first ball scene i think favorite, favorite character from this episode i think for me is going to be lady bridgerton i just really liked her commentary throughout it and i think just her as an actress as well i felt like she's really believable like she seems to care but she's also smart like her none of her children are pulling one over her eyes like she knows everything that's happening in that household totally yeah i think my favorites were the queen. Just really enjoyed how she, like, she did and says what she wants. Like, nobody kind of gets in her way. Well, that's episode one, and we'll be back with episode two. Mm-hmm.